Turn in our Bibles now to the Gospel of Mark. If you have a, a copy of the Scriptures with you, please open it to Mark chapter 1. And we're going to look together at verses 14 to 20. I'm just going to pray for us before we read, and I'm going to use a prayer that was written by John Newton, the hymn writer who wrote Amazing Grace. Let's pray. Bless, O Lord, the opening year to each soul assembled here. Clothe thy word with power divine. Make us willing to be thine. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 20. After John, that's John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing or mending their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I guess if you're like me, you like watching films, and it's not uncommon to see the men in black suits with the uh, black sunglasses in the films uh, we get from America. And they are the, the United States Secret Service. And uh, you tend to see them in films as bodyguards for the president and uh, keeping everything safe. But that's not actually how the Secret Service began. The Secret Service began actually in 1865 with Abraham Lincoln and it was a special government or, uh, bureau set up because there was a tremendous problem with counterfeit money being used in America. In fact, they did a survey and they reckoned that as much as a third of the currency that was being exchanged in America at that time was counterfeit money. And so that was a major problem to the country and they needed a, a service to deal with it. And so the Secret Service was formed. However, things changed in 1901 when the president, William McKinley, was assassinated. And as a result of that, Congress asked the Secret Service to take over new duties. They said, we're less worried about the counterfeit money now. Now we need you to take on a new role of guarding the president. And so that's the role they still function in today uh, as they were changed from one to another in 1901 to 1902 to become the Secret Service that protects the government. Well, Sometimes in, in, in pro, the program of history, we have to change. And uh, nobody likes change, do they? Mark Twain said, the only people who like change are wet babies. And uh, that's probably true. But 
It does come, and uh, because history changes, uh, the hymn writer said that time is like an ever-rolling stream, and it, it draws changes along with it. And that's what we see happening in Mark chapter 1 at the start of the Lord Jesus Christ's ministry in Galilee, which is uh, where Mark is picking up his story of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, had actually beforehand been down in Judea, down in the south of the country, down where you see Jerusalem, and he'd been to Samaria. And uh, in John chapter 1 to 4, we have some episodes from the ministry of the Lord Jesus in the first year that we don't have in any other gospel. Uh, But Mark picks it up uh, after a certain thing happens. And that was that John the Baptist, the herald who announced the coming of Christ, was put in prison by uh, Herod uh, Agrippa. And he was put in prison in in what we believe is the Machaerus prison, palace prison, on the shores of the Dead Sea. And we read here in verse 14, after John was put in prison... Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And Jesus therefore went into the north and started his Galilean ministry in what is now his actually his second year of ministry called the year of popularity by theologians. And it marks a change. Things have happened. John has been put in prison and that is like the trigger that now launches the Lord Jesus ministry in the northern part of the land of Israel where he's going to spend almost a year going around preaching the word of God to the people. And, you know, I couldn't help thinking this was a good passage for us to look at this morning, because as we're coming to the threshold of a new year, we're seeing a change in time, literally, as we go from 23 to 24. But also we're seeing such changing times in our day, aren't we? I was on, my, on the phone to mum yesterday and we, we talk and, and she just said again, you know, your, your father wouldn't believe it if he could see what's going on in the world today uh, from just a few years back when dad died. You know, the changes that have happened. And we all sense that, don't we? You know, it's such a time of change. So we need to know what the scriptures say about us living the Christian life in this time that we're in. And uh, we need to be encouraged that God's timetable is, is still running to plan. Time is not out of control. When John got put in prison, that wasn't uh, out of God's program. That was a part of God's plan and God's timing. The great theologian Herbert Lockyer said this, God is never before his time nor after. That's a great quote. You know, God is always absolutely bang on time. The Lord Jesus said that. He said the time has come. It's been fulfilled. And this is what is happening now uh, in the program. And it is for us. So what should we be thinking about? Well, in this passage, we see the message for our times. We see the ministry for our times. And we see the men for our times uh, as we draw out the application from this episode of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'd like us to think about this uh, for our meditation this morning. First of all, the message for our times in verse 15. The Lord Jesus said, the time has come. He said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news or the gospel of God. Now, I don't know if uh, you're, you're interested in, in things that happen. What happened on this day? I, I'm, I love to see history like this. And today is the wedding anniversary of these two people, 
Billy and Nell Sunday. Billy Sunday, the great evangelist, and his wife, uh, Nell, who was married in 1887. But after he died, his wife, Nell, gave this tribute to her husband, who had been, the minister, who'd been an evangelist in America through the Great Depression and everything. She said this, Billy's last years were during changing times. But Billy never changed. The gospel of Jesus Christ to him was still a man's only hope. He never backed down an inch. And when I read that, I thought, Lord, I pray that my wife will be able to say that if, uh, if, if I go before her as well. Uh, because I believe that's absolutely true. The times are changing, but the, the message we have for the world is unchanging. And it's the message of the gospel, what is called the good news, as it's uh, spoken here. And this is what Mark was writing about. Uh, if you go back to verse 1 of this chapter, he says the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the Lord Jesus speaks about the gospel many times over in this particular gospel of Mark uh, as well. And he doesn't just mean the book, but he means the message. And it's the message that God has offered salvation through his son to all who will receive it. That message of salvation is going out around the world because the Lord Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for our sins so we can be forgiven by a holy God and we can come into God's kingdom and go to heaven when we die. And that's the message of the gospel that is going out. And the Lord Jesus said the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And those two things are the way the message of the gospel is applied to our lives. That's the application. We have to repent and believe the good news, the message of salvation. Now, we want to be clear. Salvation is by faith in Christ alone trusting in Christ alone. But as Martin Luther said, the faith that uh, uh, we are saved by faith alone, but not by a faith that is alone. Real faith will always show itself in repentance. And repentance means saying sorry to God. In fact, when the Apostle Paul spoke uh, to the Ephesian elders before uh, departing to that from them in Acts chapter 20, he said this. He said, I have declared, Acts 20 verse 21, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Now, can you see that? That is the best explanation of what we're talking about here. We repent towards the God whose law we've broken. We repent to him. We say sorry to him for the things we've done wrong because we've broken his laws. His, his righteous sin is lawlessness, says 1 John 3 verse 4. So we need to say sorry to him for the things we've done wrong. But we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins so that we can be forgiven and go to heaven. And this is what the Lord Jesus is himself saying. Repent and believe the good news. Uh, he's saying repent and believe, repentance and faith. And I just want to ask, have you done that yet? Because that's still the message of our time today. And it's just as urgent as it was when the Lord Jesus himself went to preach it 
in the book of Mark. He came to preach the gospel to the people in Galilee because he said there, the kingdom of God is near. Uh, And because he was here, the kingdom was being offered to the people of Israel. Sadly, they rejected the king and the kingdom was postponed until the second coming of Christ. But the spiritual kingdom is still available to everybody today to come into. And he says, repent and believe the good news and you will come in. I wonder, have you done that yet? Have you asked the Lord Jesus to be your saviour? Have you asked God to forgive you the things you've done wrong? If you haven't, you're not yet a Christian. But that's how you can become one. And I want to urge you to do that. The hymn writer said, get right with God and do it now. (laughs) And I, I believe that's our message today. Get right with God and do it now. You know, in November 1833, there was a meteor shower over Scotland. And uh, one Scottish mother, she was very shaken by this. And she came running into her uh, little boy's bedroom. And she said, Sandy, get up. She said, the day of judgment has come. And this little boy, Sandy, jumped out of bed and said, glory to God, I'm ready. What a response. He knew the Lord as his saviour and so that was his response. Could you say that? Could you say that? The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news and you will be ready. Don't put it off but come to Christ today. And that's the message we need to be sharing and uh, that's the message we need to be responding to. Second thing I want you to see is the ministry for our times in verses 16 through to 18. Uh, Sorry, yeah, 16 through to 18. And uh, in verse 16, we see as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Uh, Many years ago, there was an art critic by the name of Bernard Berenson. And uh, he was a a bit of an eccentric, but he was a a very well-respected art critic. And when he was a very old man of 97, he started uh, doing something very strange. He would go to the street corner and he would take off his hat like a beggar and hold it out to people who were passing by, and he would say, have you got any spare minutes you can give me? Have you got any spare minutes? And he was trying to make people think about the value of time. Have you got any spare minutes? You see, time is actually our most precious commodity. And we need to think very carefully how we use every minute of our time. Uh, You know, there was a a man by the name of Donald Reagan. Now, you've heard of Ronald Reagan, the president. Well, Donald Reagan, and it wasn't a relative, but uh, they were, uh, I think, both from uh, Northern Irish stock uh, originally. But um, he was the chief of staff in the White House. 
And it was his job to keep the, the president's diary and to make sure the president got things done on time. He said this, he said, it's a sobering experience to realize that you have been trusted with the managing the time of the most powerful man in the world. A president has no more than eight years and he may be granted half that time or even less to keep the promises he has made to the people. Therefore, it is true of the president, as it is true of few other men, that he hasn't a minute to waste. Every meeting, every conversation, every ceremony must have a purpose, and it must take place in the time allotted to it. What a president might fail to do for lack of time can have profound consequences. He understood the value of time. Well, when times are changing, you and I need to understand the value of time as well. We need to say to ourselves, well, with the time moving on now, and we're entering another year, what must I do? What must I be doing with this situation? What is the ministry that we must be engaging in? And we can get our cue here from the story where the Lord Jesus comes to the Sea of Galilee and calls his disciples, Simon and Andrew and James and John. Now, uh, uh, to be fair, this isn't actually the first time the Lord has called these disciples. And if you put this together with John's gospel, you realize that the disciples had already been called by John the Baptist to leave him and follow Jesus and Jesus himself had said come and see when they when they were uh, uh, interested uh, in his ministry that he was the Messiah and he said come and see but what is happening here is they're becoming full-time disciples up to that they'd been part-time disciples but now he's calling them to full-time ministry which is why they're going to leave their nets and follow him David Jeremiah says this, he says, in Mark, the call to discipleship often takes place by the sea. And that's true. We see that later on with Matthew chapter 2, Levi, who was a tax collector by the sea. He says, in Mark, the call to discipleship often takes place by the sea, just as Israel faced its own moment of decision by the Red Sea. And that's a, a valid observation. And what the Lord Jesus is doing as he walks by the Sea of Galilee and he sees Simon and Andrew casting a net into, their le- into the lake is he calls them to become fishers of men. Come and become fishers of men. What he's calling to them to is the ministry of soul winning, being an evangelist and trying to bring other people into the kingdom of God, trying to bring them into a relationship with God by telling them about the Lord Jesus. And he uses an analogy that they would understand. He says, fishers of men. You see, Peter was casting a net. Now, you wouldn't know this from the English, but from the Greek, it says he's casting a round net, a circular net. And this is what we call a cast net. It could be cast by one man, as you can see here, or by two men, as it is in the gospel. And it's a large round net, about nine feet, and it's made of rope, and it has uh, uh, weights on it, and it has uh, the net is is drawn closed uh, by by the rope and you pull it back up hopefully with fish in it uh, later on by the way James and John are with in the boats with 
their father and some hired workers and they're using a different net they're using a big drag net and it was probably a little uh, 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 a bit of competition on the lake that they had a bigger fishing business and they even had hired workers <laughs> but uh, Peter gets called first and it, he's using a, a cast net to catch fish on the lake and Jesus says that's what I want you to do only not for fish but for men I want you to catch men for God and bring them to salvation. And this was the ministry that he was calling them to. And it's the ministry, I believe, that we also are still called to engage in. And this is because the Lord Jesus ended his ministry on earth by giving the Great Commission. And Mark goes to this at the end. And he says to his disciples, his last words, go into all the world and preach the gospel. The same message he had preached, go into all the world and preach the gospel. So this is the ministry for our times. And we can learn a lot by, about this ministry by thinking about Christ's analogy of fishing. You know, there was a, a famous Puritan by the name of Thomas Boston. And Thomas Boston was a Scotsman. And as a Scotsman, he used to love fly fishing. And uh, he'd go, go get his, uh, I don't know if they had waders, but he'd get down there and catch salmon uh, in the River Spey probably, you know, and, uh, and get in there among the fish to catch uh, uh, the fish. And one day, uh, this was his hobby and his interest as a young man, in 1699, he wrote this in his diary. He said, reading in secret, my heart was touched with Matthew 4.19. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. My soul cried out for the accomplishing of that to me. And I was very desirous to know how I might follow Christ so as to be a fisher of men. And the Lord spoke to his heart and he wrote a book called The Art of Man Fishing. Not fish fishing, but the art of man fishing. And he said, basically, you think about how you fish for fish, you can draw comparisons with drawing people to the Lord Jesus. Now, what does a fisherman need? A fisherman needs, needs bait. He needs something to catch them with and, and tempt them with. And we have the glories of the Lord Jesus Christ to set before people and to show them their, their, the, the salvation that can be given them in Christ. He needs patience. Fishing takes patience, doesn't it? It takes time to catch fish. And uh, it's not a quick and easy process. The fish don't come jumping out of uh, the water normally. Well, they do in the River Spey, but uh, they don't come jumping to you uh, to be caught. And we have to have patience in soul winning. It doesn't always happen very quickly. And uh, there's many other analogies that we can draw. We have to know when it's a right time to fish and when it's a bad time to fish. You know, some places are good for fishing in and some are bad because of the light. And the, the fish can see what you're up to. They won't come near you. And other times when they can't see. So we need to have wisdom with fishing. And you can uh, draw analogies like that in your own mind as you reflect on that after this service about how we minister the gospel to bring others to the Lord Jesus. But this is what he is calling us each one to do, to be a soul winner for Christ. And the good news is we don't have to think, oh no, this is something I've got to work up. This is something I've got to try and force myself to do. 
On the contrary, look what Jesus says. He says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Isn't that a wonderful thing? It's what the Lord promises in his grace. He will work inside our hearts as we walk with him and we follow him, reading our Bibles, praying every day. He will make us fishers of men and his grace will work in us to bring this tremendous ministry about. And the key for us is to walk closely with the Lord and to be ready and available to him. You know, I was so encouraged recent, re- reading uh, recently uh, a copy of the uh, prayer magazine for CWI, or if they've now changed their name, they've become International Ministry to the Jews. And Joseph Steinberg, who's the uh, director uh, of the ministry, was telling this story about when he was um, leading a, a, an outreach team in Paris uh, in, in the summer of 2018. He said, with the Paris summer outreach fast approaching, I was so grateful to recently have, have the opportunity to teach a course on Jewish mission and evangelism to a group of French Chinese Christians in Paris. They were excited and passionate in their love for Jewish people, but came to realize the best way to show God's love to a Jewish person is to share Jesus with them. Amen. And he says this, while on a short break from teaching, Oriel Vidal, our missionary in Paris, and I went to have some ice cream. As we were eating, an elderly Jewish man and his two Jewish friends stopped and asked how it tasted. This man ended up sitting down and chatting with me for 20 minutes, giving me the opportunity to share my faith. This man turned out to be a world-famous violin virtuoso. Meanwhile, Oriel was sharing the gospel with his Israeli filmmaking friend who was producing a documentary on this Jewish virtuoso's life. What a great opportunity. Please pray for Oriel as he follows up locally these two Jewish men. You know, that's, that's exactly what, what the Lord is talking about. I will make you fishers of men. You know, the Lord led them in that opportunity, didn't he, to be able to do it. And he will help us as well if we look to him. So as we go into this new year, brothers and sisters in Christ, let's make it our desire to make this our ministry. You know, I was really hit by reading something in, in a book recently that said this. You may be the first person, the last person, or the only person to ever tell another soul about Jesus. Think about that. The next person you tell about the Lord, you may be the first person who's ever told them the way of salvation. You may also be the last person who will ever tell them the way of salvation. You may be the only person who ever tells them the way of salvation. So how that ought to make us uh, keen to be fishers of men like the Lord Jesus called us to be. 
So may he help us and make us as he did those precious disciples. And that leads us to our third point, which is the men for our times. Because as we see uh, this story going on, we see the Lord Jesus going again further around the Lake of Galilee. And it says in verse 19, when he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. My uh, uh, pastor I grew up uh, under used to have a little saying. He said, God doesn't need better methods. He said, God just needs better men. (laughs) I think that's true. Uh, God's methods laid down in the Bible are the top ones for all time. But what God does need is better men. And he was inspiring us to try and be better men. And you know what? When I look at the disciples here, I see uh, inspiration for us to become like these men spiritually. Uh, You know, there are four disciples mentioned in this Bible passage, and these four are the first four and the leading four in the 12 disciples. There's Simon, who's Simon Peter, of course, you know that, Andrew, James, and John. And each one of these uh, actually became a very significant member of the early church. Peter obviously became the leading uh, uh, apostle and disciple of, of the disciples, and uh, John became the closing one who wrote the book of Revelation. But if you think about it, each one of these men had a characteristic that contributed towards the work of the gospel in a wonderful way. Peter was a preaching disciple. He was the one who was given the keys of the kingdom, as Jesus said, which meant that he had the privilege and the opportunity of being the first one to tell the Jews about the gospel after Jesus rose from the dead. And he was the first one to tell the Gentiles at Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10 the message. So he opened the door for the gospel to go to Jew and Gentile. And it was his preaching that led multitudes to Christ in the book of Revelation. You know what? We need people today who will preach the word of God. And we need to pray for preachers. And you need to pray for preachers for Union Chapel. Not just me. Please pray God raises up preachers. There is a shortage of Bible preachers in our land. And uh, it's a great need. We even find it difficult to find visiting speakers for when I'm not here. So it's, a, it's an illustration of, uh, of the need there is. So let's pray for preaching disciples. And if we're called to preach, um, then let's follow that call. Andrew, what was Andrew like? Andrew was a practical disciple. You know, Andrew was notable because he was always bringing people to Jesus. The first person he brought to Jesus was Peter in John chapter 1. But he was also the one who saw the need and how to meet it. And when there was the 5,000 who needed feeding, it was Andrew in John chapter 6 who turned up with a little boy and said, Lord Jesus, this boy has a little lunch of five loaves and two fishes. What's that among so many? But he brought the little boy to Jesus. And we need practical people who are disciples of Jesus Christ as well. You know, this church couldn't be here without the practical people who make it run. It's not just the preaching. 
We need people who will be kind enough to get here early, to open the doors, to welcome. We need people to be kind enough to do the teas and the coffees afterwards. People who will pay the bills and and do the administration and the paperwork. People who will drive the minibus. Uh, to pick up the Sunday school kids. You know, when, it had the, when we had the nativity, um, poor old Kerry was going down with an illness, but we didn't have another driver. So he put his face mask on and he drove anyway, and he sat outside. Think of the commitment for that. But that's what we need. We need practical people. Can you be practical and do something to help uh, this year in the church? We think of James. James was the persecuted disciple. You know, he was the first one to die uh, after Stephen, but the first one out of the 12 to die. And we read about his execution in Acts chapter 12 at the hands of Herod. Uh, And you know what? We need to be disciples, all of us, who are ready to follow the Lord Jesus in that way too, because that is a part of the Christian life. And John, John was the prophetic disciple, the one who was given the revelation, the book of Revelation at the end of the Bible. He was the one who was looking for the coming of the Antichrist in the book of 1 John, 2 John and 3 John and warning about that. He had his prophetic mind in gear. Now, I don't want you to think, oh, I'll be that one, but not that one. Because it's not that that's been told. Actually, Peter, James, Andrew and John, they were all prophetic. They were all there in in Mark 13 uh, when the Lord Jesus gave the sermon, uh, the the Olivet Discourse uh, about the second coming. They were all practical. They were all preachers. But there were distinctions, especially among them, in their ministry. So say to yourself, Lord, how can I serve you this year? How can I serve you this year in Union Chapel? And it will be a contribution to the work of God in this place. You know, in World War II, um, Winston Churchill was called to go and speak to the coal miners who had been working down the pits because many of them were objecting to the fact that they couldn't become soldiers in the army. And uh, they were a, a, a reserved Uh, industry that was needed and he said we need people who will work in the pits he said some must stay in the pits and others must stay in the army both are equally needed and for both there is equal credit looking ahead uh, he said this to when children would ask their parents what they did in the war he said one day uh, they will you will be able to say i was a fighter pilot another will be able to say i was in the submarine service and in your turn you will be able to say with equal pride and equal right we cut the coal they were needed as well so god doesn't need better methods but he needs better men and may you and i rise to that challenge you know uh in the story the lord of the rings i i'm guessing everybody here pretty much knows the story of lord of the rings by J.R. tolkien uh the story of the of the magical ring that's got to be returned to the mountain where it came from uh for the safety of of hobbit kind and uh, and 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 uh, uh and the world the little frog, hobbit, this little character on the side here who has the ring, he says this, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish that none of this had happened. 
And Gandalf, the wise old wizard, he said this, So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All you must decide is how to use the time that is given to you. And you know what? You and I may look at the change in the world day and say, I wish I didn't live in this era. I wish I lived in another. That's not for us to decide. But what is to decide is how we will live for the Lord in these days. So let's take our cue from Mark chapter 1. Let's remember the message for our times, the gospel. And let's get it out there. And if we haven't trusted Christ, we'll trust him today. The ministry for our times, fishing for souls, winning people for the Lord Jesus. You may be the only person who speaks to that person, so don't miss out. And the men for our times, let's be those, like the disciples, who were faithful in each individual way in the service of God. Let's uh, close our service now.